Speaking of books, my new book is The Lightning of Possible Storms, a collection of short fiction that reads like a novel. It includes stories about a mad scientist trying to steal his son's dreams, a story where a personification of capitalism is trying to impress his boss by winning a contest at work, a story about a Hollywood producer who just decides to adapt a bunch of explosions, uh, and many other stories, some funny, some terrifying. Salima Nawaz uh, says that is cheerfully horrifying and full of the unexpected. Suzette Mayer says it's beautifully written and expertly composed. And I say, uh, it's time you read this book. I've been working on it for almost 20 years, and I'm excited to share it with you. So please go to PossibleStorms.com. Again, that's PossibleStorms.com, and you'll find out a lot more about this book and some of the bonuses that you can get when you buy this book. Let's get on with the show. And, and let's say you're not making no money, though, because this is the thing where people don't understand it. So you're making some money. Yeah. Um, not enough to make a living, but enough to But let's say you were making money. no money. Let's say all you were doing, Lyndon, yeah. was trying to get work as a comics writer. Okay. Let's, let's use the writer example. Yeah. Let's say all you're doing is writing scripts, mailing yeah. them out, getting rejection. Writing yeah. script, mailing them out, getting rejection. Yeah. People will get those rejections, and they will get upset, and they'll throw the rejections in the garbage. I could never fathom throwing a rejection out. I think Do you save your great. rejections? Yes. Good. Do you know why it's good? Because it proves that I'm part of the industry. <laughs> yes. No, literally. Oh, okay. All right. Literally, when taxed, you could still now, though you've got no writing income, yeah. be writing off the comics you buy as oh. business expenses. All right. Now, you don't have income to write the credit off against, yeah. but you are in business. Now, when CRA comes to you and goes, well, how come you got all these business expenses? You're not even making any money. You go, well, I am making. I'm, in the acti- I'm engaged yeah. in the activity of I'm doing business. I'm a failure. Here you go. <laughs> yes. Here are my rejections, yeah. which is proof that I am writing, sending material out. Yep. I'm actually trying to make money. What CRA cares about, there, there's, a, there's a clause in the taxes. Now, there's a special clause where... Uh, an artist is one of the only businesses that's allowed to never show a profit during their lifetime. Whereas other businesses have expect, reasonable expectation of profit, yeah. creative business, cr- artists do not have reasonable expectation of profit. That feels like it should be insulting, but we're now Stephen we're Harper actually changed the tax code to say this, which of is course hilarious. Stephen Harper did. Is one of the only good things Stephen Harper ever did, but it is kind of a kick in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's just a rude comment. And yeah. But that's something okay. nobody knows. No. Yeah. Okay, so I am a, um, I'm a new writer, let's hypothetical, I'm a new writer, I've taken a creative writing course, I'm now... Your rejections could save you thousands of dollars. I'm, I'm making submissions, I'm getting rejections, I'm saving my receipts. You're saving That's, your rejections? I'm saving, saving my rejections receipts? and my receipts. You're tracking what you're doing? Yes. Okay, how do I track what I'm doing? Well... Am I clocking the, in and out every day? You know... Anything is good. What I would suggest personally, uh, I mean, it depends what you're trying to measure. Yeah. Right? So when I was young, and I was actually doing this tracking in a, a more sensible way, now I have, I've fallen I, off the tracking my, my full disclosure is that I do not have a tracking system. I just work on projects as so they come up. So few people did. Yeah. So I used to have a very good one. I fell off it. Now I'm trying to reestablish it. Yeah. Now I'm so complex, I need a very difficult one. Uh, but like, so what you should be doing, though, at this point is... Let's say you write a, well, you're writing a comic. Uh, what's what's the most recent thing you wrote that you want to talk about? I am currently working on a comic with Stephen Call called The Laundryman, and it's okay. purely it's conceptualized. We have an outline, Perfect. but no work has been done on it yet. Great. So let's say you write the script for The Laundryman. Yeah. So let, now you're in the future where you've written the script for The Laundryman. Okay. Yeah. Again, let's imagine you had done nothing else before this point. Yeah. Um, and you're just doing it on spec. So what we, uh, again, we should just make a distinction. When we talk about doing writing on spec, that just means you're writing on the speculation someone will pay you yeah. at some point in the future. You're as hoping. opposed to you've been hired to write something. Yeah. So you're writing The Laundryman on spec. Nobody's asked you to write it. You're just writing it to write it. And yeah. you're going to try to... You know, sell it. Let's yeah. say it would. It would be like so once even I started making Infinite Universe. We're exactly. Just, let's make a thing and hope that. But it let's pretend you didn't make Infinite Universe yes. for the sake of example. Yeah. I currently am working on my first comic project. You're writing your first comic, which is Launchman. It's going to be a 20 page comic script. Now you finish the 22 page comic script. Okay. Okay. Um, and then in this example, Stephen is going to do the art. You've just agreed with him yeah. that you know to work in the script thing together. You're going to co-own it. Yep. Yeah. So he does the art. Now you've got a 22 page. Of comic 
script and art. Yep. You've got the 20-page comic together. Yep. You're going to mail it off to publishers yep. and try to get it, picked s- up. get it picked up. So first thing you should do is you should create a spreadsheet okay. that lists all the things you've made. Okay. You've only made one thing now, The Laundryman, yep. which is a 22-page comic. This is, this now, is the part where you and I... Now, you don't realize. Now, you don't realize. Yeah. Uh, now, the mistake that you make and most people make is you put The Laundryman in as one thing. Okay. It's not one thing. Uh, the Laundryman is a digital uh, comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it, comic. so it's, it's a 22-page comic. Yep. But it also could be potentially, let's say there's a really cool spread. Yep. Like there's a cool one-page yep. spread that Stephen made. Uh, well, you could take the text off that and make that a second you thing. It a print. It's yeah. a print. Yeah. Now you've got or two. A, a now you've got two things. Yeah. You've got a poster. Now you've actually so that one thing is yeah. actually two things. Yeah. Maybe it's three things. Maybe you got two prints out of it. Yeah. Uh, you did. Um, maybe you also. Now, uh, for the but for the sake of keeping this simple, let's just keep those that are comic. starting up. It is a comic. It does not become a secondary line item until you decide to actually yes. pull a page out and turn it into a print. And you start it an inventory. A, right now, it is just a comic. You track in the inventory. Yeah. You know, in my inventory of things I could sell, it's yeah. a twenty-two page comic. Yeah. Then you, you know, in the maybe another spreadsheet page or whatever, or even the same spreadsheet, but somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, or in the same place, you track. Who you're going to send it to? So you research yes. who you're going to send it to. Yeah, you have to keep track where you're submitting it. Let's to. say you're sending it to five places okay. for the sake of the example. Yeah, you track where you send it and okay. when you send it. Yeah, that's the basics. Okay. What you're doing, what you have, where you're sending it, when you sent it. Okay. Then they start to the responses start to come in. Um, then you track when they came in, what they were. Yeah. What you're trying to figure and and meanwhile, of course, you're writing another thing and so on. Eventually, what you're going to do is you build up this inventory list. Now you've got, let's say, 20 things. Yeah. And you've sent them out. You you should have by... A, so there's a future point where you should have... So the first thing you need to figure out is, like, when am I going to create things? Yes. Which is the baseline. Yep. Right? If yep. you don't create things, your whole business falls apart. Yeah. And I want to talk about... I was, you know, waiting for a point to talk about that. Um, we'll talk about currency, but actual currency. Um, because the... So in my view, as someone who's just starting out and I'm trying to do a whole bunch of projects at once, this is now real me and not fake me with only one yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, real you. Um, the only real currency that exists is time. Because time is the only thing you're never going to get back. So, if I were you, the first thing I would do to save yourself time, mm-hmm. and it sounds counterintuitive, but the first thing I would do to save yourself time is I would stop, take a day, and just record everything you've already done. Yes. And then I would s- send it out. Start... Sending so I, I mean, then I would make a schedule. Yep. I mean, you don't have to make a real schedule. Yeah. Like, but you do. Would, you do need to make a real well, schedule. It, That's it, what I'm getting. I think you do. But you could also have a quota instead. Like, yeah. instead of having, like, I'm going to write from 7 to 10, you could say, I'm going to write this many pages a week. Yeah. Like, you could do different things. Yeah. But you need, number one, the big rock that, like, the everything else should fit around mm-hmm. is creating new stuff, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But a, another big rock is... Uh, Sending stuff out on a regular pattern. Yeah. Now maybe you got nothing to send out, uh, or everything's. But like, but maybe like, you know what I mean. Like, so maybe it's like Monday, Wednesday, Monday to Thursday, you're writing stuff. Yeah. Friday, you're sending stuff out and tracking what you wrote and where you sent it. Yeah. And whatever. But at some point, the rejections come in, the acceptances come in. What you what you want and what I'm lacking right now. Yeah. Right. Used to have. Yeah. Uh, what you want is like the data. Yeah. Of What's your acceptance rate? Okay. But now here's my personal issue. When we come back to me, where I am at in my professional career, is I, you and I agree that the most important thing that you should be doing is making new things. Yeah. What I struggle with and what I think many you know, starting creators struggle with is figuring out what proportion or what schedule or what um, amount of time needs to be dedicated to getting real work done versus how much time you should spend on sending things out. So if we go now, if we go back to the first book idea, I have one book, let's say I've written my one script and, but it's an arc and I'm going to work on the second issue for it. I need to, I need time to work on the second issue, 
but I am also trying to get this first issue picked up. So I'm sending it off to a publisher and I'm getting rejected. I'm sending it off to another publisher, but every time I send out a pitch, it costs me three hours. How many pitches can I send out or is it worth it for me to send out on this first issue when I know that I need to work on the second issue? Here's the question. How much money do you need to make? All of it. I need to make all of the but money. No, but yeah. this is the thing. It's a quantify. You have to quantifiably yeah. figure out how much money do you need to make. Yeah, but then you need to know which one of those, which one of those two options is going to lead to more money. Well, I'll tell you, sending things out. Okay. You can't make money writing until you send it out. Yes. In this scenario, because yes. like on spec. Yeah. So you're marketing your either. There's two ways to, for you to make money. Yeah. It's in the simple world. Yep. There's, it's not real, truly true. Yeah. In the simple world, there's, let's say, three ways for you to make money. Yeah. Okay. One. So so in the real, this is the real world too. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's 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 more, but like there's essentially three ways for you to make money, right? You can sell something you've written, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you could sell the launching man. Yeah. After writing it. Yeah. Two. You could get hired to write something. So I could hire, yeah. pay you to write. Commission work, essentially. I, I could pay you to yeah. letter the eye collector. Yeah. Okay. Three, somebody could buy your book, Infinite Universe, off the bookshelf. Yeah. The best way to make money is three. Because it already exists. Because you don't do anything. Do You're sleeping. Somebody buys your book. They yeah. mail you a check. Yeah. The problem, so, but, but there's no point worrying about that. Yeah. Like, the worst use of your time is trying to get somebody to buy Infinite Universe. Yes. But that's the best way for you to make money. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, what you want is to create uh, down the line, yep. though, like the, the end game is enough people are buying infinite universe mm-hmm. that you don't have to work. Mm-hmm. That's the end game. Like mm-hmm. now it never will. It rarely happens off one book. The end game is really, you've got 80 books out or whatever it is. Yeah. And, but yeah, but royalties are sustaining you as the end game. Yeah. But to get to that point, you're right. You have to be writing the laundry man. Yeah. So the long game of the laundry man is like the royalty end game. Yeah. The short game of the laundry man is selling it to somebody. Yeah. So it sounds as though what you're saying is to start to make the fastest money. way to make money is I pay you to letter the eye collector. So yeah. what you got, but that's going to take away from your creative writing time. Correct. So what you got to figure out before anything else, yeah. how much does it cost you to live and not have to get a job? Yeah. I mean that in this, in this situation being paid to letter the eye collector is my job is the paying job immediately. Effectively. Yeah. So maybe you're paying job. So let's say it costs you, I don't know, $30,000 a just year to for, live for the sim- for the simplicity of the, the listener understanding this. Me yes. lettering, a freelance lettering a project is the equivalent of someone working at a restaurant or someone working in a retail position yeah. or someone doing something else. Do anything and maybe that's that, what you're doing instead of lettering. Anything that takes up your time that you get paid for that isn't making new stuff. So, the, but, the, but the kind of, I know this sounds like a non-answer your question, but the answer to your question of the ratio is yeah. um, you need to not go broke. You need to eat food first. Yeah. Uh, but you can't forget that you only need to eat food. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it seems as though the catch is... What people do is they think in their heads, um, I need to just make all the money. No, you only need to make X amount of dollars. Yeah. So you need to know what that is. Yeah. And after that point, you don't have to take my eye collector job. Mm-hmm. You could or you could not. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to. Maybe you should be spending time. So what I think is... Like the default I've always gone with, and it's not, it, which, you know, sometimes it's worked out well, and sometimes it's worked out other well, is there is, there's advice in, uh, if you were actually going to get advice from like a financial planner on how to save, how to become wealthy in the long term, yeah. what the financial planner will tell you is this, if you make a thousand dollars, um, and you have a bunch of bills coming due, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is you pay is you put money in your savings account. Yeah. And then you pay your bills. Okay. So the, the advice is you pay yourself first. Yep. Yeah, I've heard pay yourself first as a phrase. You pay yourself first. It's the wealthy barber is where it comes from. Mm. So you pay yourself first, then you pay your bills. The, what people do is they pay their bills first. Mm-hmm. And they take whatever's left. But they shouldn't do that. You, so you, you should work in the laundry man. You should have a minimum level which you're happy working on the laundry man mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you do that first. You wake up in the morning, you work on the laundry man for two hours or whatever it is. Okay. Then you can do other things or you can keep working on the laundry man depending on what you can afford to do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds so. So either you're hustling to find jobs yeah. or you're lettering the eye collector 
or whatever you're doing to make money. Yeah. You know, weighing, weighing tables. Yeah. Going it, to the law court. It sounds as though but what you're, you're paying, doing the laundry man first. And that's not on a, on a financial level is you're paying yourself first in that you're doing your personal work before you're doing the other work. But you got to keep, but the where, where people will, I think go wrong with this yes. is they think it's selfish or they think it's like, uh, you know, they're doing it for love or passion. That's fine yeah. to do it for love and passion. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. But what you're really doing, the cold math of it is, in the long run, you'll make the most money with the laundromat. Yes. The cold math is... It's a long game. It's a long game. And especially when we're looking at things in publishing, it seems as though each project that you work on is your stepping stone to another slash bigger project. Yeah. Like if I, if today you work on the laundry man for let's say four hours and then you work on the ad collector for four hours mm-hmm. and I pay a thousand dollars to work in the ad collector and you make nothing working on the laundry man. Yeah. It may seem to you like you made more money working on the ad collector. You actually may not have. Yeah. But you don't know yet. You don't know yet because you don't know what the work you put into the, problem, the laundromat is going to be. The problem with the eye collector is you can never make another dollar on it. No, it's a one-time payment. Yeah. I'll make money on it or lose money on it. <laughs> that remains to be seen. Yeah. No, I understand that. We're just <laughs> That's conceptualizing. People don't understand it. Yes. They understand it abstractly, but they don't understand their gut because they're hungry. They need to buy some food. Mm-hmm. They should just go hungry for a little, couple hours and work on the laundromat. Mm-hmm. And then worry about buying food. Mm-hmm. I went to see... So I, I'm going to tell you a little story I was thinking about that I last time yeah. on the drive home. Yeah. Uh, I went to see my accountant and he was. I was asking him, like, what should I do? Should I put money in my TFSA, you know, the short-term, medium-term savings account mm-hmm. that we have in Canada? Or tax-free savings should account. I, tax-free savings account. So Americans won't know what that means. But it's, yeah. uh, but it's like a tax-free savings account. Yeah. So it's just short-term money. Yeah. Medium-term, short-term. Yeah. Or should I put money in my retirement savings account? Uh, well, actually, he was saying to me, actually, now I've misremembered it. He said to me, why are you putting so much money in your retirement savings account? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, I'm saving for retirement. He's like, he's like, but you should put the money in your TFSA instead. I'm like, because you know, you're not going to get taxed on that money the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but don't I need to save for retirement? He's like, why? Why do you need to save for retirement? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, well, you're a writer. He's like, you'll be making more money in retirement than you do now hopefully won't you hopefully and i was thinking i'm like theoretically yeah 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 i mean because at that point you'd hope that you have enough passive income coming in from the things you've already done theoretically Ho- unless yeah. i really go wrong unless i quit basically yeah i you know but like or i just don't know what i'm doing for 50 years yeah yeah, you'd really need but, but to. But I never had thought about it because the common wisdom, we were talking last time about the common wisdom that comes from your parents. Yeah. The common wisdom is, well, you got to save for retirement first, you know, because yeah. that's when. You, because but, at some point. But I don't have stops. to really save. But, but yeah, in retirement, you quit your job, you know, you go about it. But yeah. in retirement, like, I mean, even if I quit writing, theoretically, in retirement, I'm making more money than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, he's like, you're going to need the tax break later. <laughs> Not now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, he's like, you should pay your taxes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, what are you? But it, it just is counterintuitive because it's a weird business that we're in. Yeah, and yeah, and that's on right on the head. Is it comes down to the specific profession because, and I'm just going to repeat in a simpler way what we've just said. Um, the common wisdom that I'm told is, you know, go and find a well-paying job that's going to pay into my retirement fund and allow me to live a nice, comfortable lifestyle now, uh, so that when I retire, I'm taken care of. But in the writing profession, uh, all the work that you you do now is work that you can keep profiting off of even when you're retired, um, because the work doesn't disappear. It's not it's not as though like if I'm I, I was a server in a restaurant. I served a restaurant. They paid their bill. I made my ten dollars an hour and my twenty my twenty dollars in tips. That's the most I'm ever going to get from that from that work. Like that's that's it. That's the full stop. Um, when I'm putting in eight hours of work now on a, on a comic book that I can sell, I can sell that forever. That doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, you don't know the appetite yeah. for it. It, re- theoretically, it. It comes down to what, yeah, with, with the market. But the other but. thing is you don't even really have to even sell it necessarily. So this is the weird thing. Like I, my, my daughter was asking me once about, 
um, how much money do I make from a book? And I said, you know, it's a really hard question to answer. I go, and there's two answers to it. Like, one answer is the specific answer of like, if you buy the book on the shelf, how much do I make from that transaction? Yeah. So if it's a $20 book, you buy it at the bookstore, I make, you know, $1.80 or $2 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's not much money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I sold like 100,000 books or something, that's then it's different. $100,000, yeah. And it's not bad money in the sense that I, I don't have to do anything. You yep. just have to walk in a store and buy it. Yeah. Um, I go, but that's not all the money I make on the book. I go, so there's like, you know, so maybe the way I like will do a book is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get a grant. Mm-hmm. So I'll write a bunch of the book for nothing mm-hmm. and, you know, see if there's something here. Then I'll try to get a grant. Let's mm-hmm. say I get a grant. Now I get like a big chunk. Maybe I'll get $15,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, you know, finish the draft of that book. Yeah. Then I'll send it to publisher. Maybe they'll pay me, you know, $5,000. Yeah. Um, then the book, you know, goes, uh, comes out. Now I go, maybe, now maybe somebody wants me to come to the university and give a reading and they're going to pay me $500. Yeah. Um, then maybe you buy it at the at university. The thing, right I get $2 directly. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I sell it to you directly. You give me $20. Yeah. Uh, really, I made... It's fourteen dollars or whatever, whatever it is, yeah. uh, or you buy it from the store. I make two dollars there. Yeah, but then the other thing is like because it's, then it goes to the library. Maybe like because it's in the library, the government sends me a check every year yeah. for the next fifty years yeah. or twenty years or whatever it is. So, and at this point, who knows how much money you've made off it? I mean, who I knows? could really track it if I want to, but I, you know, yeah, who knows really? Plus, plus the fact that I spent money. Plus, there's also like the the way in which when I was working on the book, yeah. maybe I. Um, you know, bought a bunch, maybe I bought some books yep. uh, and like wrote them off and yep. got a tax break or yep. like it gets very complicated and it's hard to say precisely, what? but there's always ways in which I can make money on it before you even have finished, I've even finished it yep. or before you buy it, whether you buy it or not, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. We well, yeah, had to use my own um, creative career as an example also in a way of intangibility. You know, I wrote a comic book in the infinite U- called infinite universe um, three years ago. And as part of that, writing that book, I had to learn how to letter a comic book, which yeah. I never would have had to do before. Never would have thought to do. Um, and that breaks off into two distinct branches already because having written a book and self publishing it allowed me to get a second book that I had written published and is going to give me some publishing credits in terms of writing that I would not have gotten if I had not done that first book. And so that first book, I'm making a profit off of selling the physical book, and then I'm going to make a profit that's tied to that book on every book going forward because you build with every project that you do. The second stream of that comes from the comics lettering, which is even more intangible because part of the skills that I had to learn to make that book are something that I can now apply to a 1,000 other books that I'm going to get paid to do freelance. And so that one book, though I did the the script for, or I did the work for free, I did the lettering for free, I paid to print it out of my own pocket so that I could sell the book, has now um, paid for itself in a thousand different indirect and indistinct ways. And I have no idea how much money I've actually made off that book outside of saying it is more than value, it is more than made more its value. But... One thing you could do, and I would encourage you to do, is to figure out in a bit more of a concrete way, what do I need to do? Like, again, how much money do I need to make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and what do I need to do to make that money? So lettering is a good example because it's like, let's say you get paid, I don't know, $15 a page to yeah. letter. Um, uh, well, here's a question. How many pages do you have to letter in a year? to make the money you need to make. Yeah. And so, you don't have to ask that question. Yeah. That's a question you should have the answer to. Yeah. And right? all that'll then come down to how quickly can you letter a page and then how oh. many pages then do you need to do in a week to pay for that? And then you therefore how much time... Getting, you got to factor in finding the work. Yep. Right? Yep. Which you don't get paid to find the work. Nope. And once again, it will be feast or famine. Potentially. Potentially. You, yeah, you'll have months where you get a bunch of it, months where maybe there's less of it. Yep. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of intangibles that come to it. But you should have a plan. Like, the, the thing is, like, you should have an idea that, like, oh, you know, I need to, like, 
I think what people really should do and what I've found like really helps more and more over the years is to figure out on a piece of paper like okay if I'm going to make if if I'm going to like write the you know, let's say I want to write comics well how many comics would I have to write mm-hmm. <laughs> to like have a career mm-hmm. where I only write comics mm-hmm. and then how much am I roughly making like how many of those do I have to be writing for mm-hmm. DC or whatever like mm-hmm. for somebody mm-hmm. versus writing you know for myself and owning mm-hmm. uh, how many you know pages am I lettering you know for somebody you like yeah like you got to figure out the math of it yeah. in a way that um, I don't think people really and you can also like figure out like down like again the movement you're trying to get towards is I've done enough stuff that you know, there's a critical mass building. The, the idea is that you're always trying to angle towards gaining time that you can make your own stuff to making stuff. It seems like yeah, and the and the catalog is like the the catalog is the retirement savings plan in, in many respects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of comforting in our industry because a lot of the time right now, you know, the the stereotype of an artist is someone who struggles financially obviously, but the idea that the work that you're doing now, um, even if you're struggling is something that you can continue to draw on the more, the longer you go. It's comforting. But you know where, when it's not comforting is when you just don't do it. That's right. Because you you don't even remember you did the work. You got no track of the work. Mm -hmm. You're not sending the work out. It comes back to the system. Do you know what I mean? So like infinite universe as an example, um, you know, maybe you don't want to beat the infinite universe horse to death. Yeah. But as an example, yeah. Um, you know, you could try selling it to a UK publisher. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you should do that necessarily. I don't know what the marketability of it is in the UK, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. Um, Always it, be looking for it, new markets you, to take your pre-existing. Relatively project. speaking, yeah. It's easier for you to resell a book that exists than to write a new book. Yes. So I mean, you want to be writing new books. Yeah. But if you only have an hour. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I you mean, should spend some time at least reselling the work you've done. Yeah. And then as time goes on, when there's more and more of a back catalog, yeah. I, again, at a certain point, you pick up a bit of a critical mass and this, you know, yeah. people can, people are just asking you for things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you should still be trying to, move. I mean, I'm at a point where I, you know, I work on my new projects and it almost feels as though. Um, the projects that you that you've already done, whether you've sold them or you haven't sold them, once you've moved on to the next thing, you almost put them out of mind, and that is a mistake. I, that's my mistake I make yeah. all the time because that's just my once it's done, it's done. It's, it, I think it's a character flaw or it's just a character trait, however you want to put it. Like for me, it's like a it's that I don't um, I just don't care anymore. Yeah, because I've already done it. Yeah. So I, it's, I, like I, I, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I'm happy. I'm passionate about it. It's, yeah. I love the work, but it's just I'm done now. I got to do another yeah. thing, and I don't. Um, it's like an accomplishment thing. Like I don't yeah. feel a sense of accomplishment exactly. Yeah. Well, here's here's where I'm stuck on it is, and I mean, we'll use Infinite Universe as another example. I we made that book two years ago. And the only reason this is in my mind is because recently with it being repub- republished, I had to go in and organize my files for it, which were a mess. Yeah. I actually had to re-letter one of the pages because I lost the file. Mm. But, yeah, um, but what I realized is um, my proficiency as a creator then is nowhere near where it is now. And so um, like when I was looking at the lettering I did in for that project, it was, it was not good. I mean, it was fine. It got the job done, but it is nowhere near where I'm at now. And so I'm almost, yes, maybe you don't want to resell it. Ashamed isn't the right word, but yeah, it's, it's almost as though I realize I can be making money by reselling it. But in doing that, you almost make it a current work of yours when it doesn't doesn't necessarily reflect about reselling it for a second. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to, don't get hung up on that. No, I don't. So one thing you could do with the Infinite Universe, for example, yeah. is, is, are you signed up for the public lending right? Uh, I'm not signed up for the public lending right. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, do you, you know what that is, right? Yes. Dear, so in li- Canada, dear listener, that is Jonathan Ball's, um, you're an idiot, but I'll forgive you for it, boys. Uh, you know, well, I mean, that is the simplest thing where it's like, 
public so you, lending so right is your books end up in a library if and your you books get paid are in a library money for it theoretically and yeah. it's more complicated than that but theoretically it's you know an annual payment that you know creators can get to if their books are in so many libraries or whatever yeah. now because you're with a publisher that publisher knows what they're doing at all they'll be selling the books to libraries yeah. i'm sure there are yeah or that's on their plan or whatever yeah. um so you should be signing the public lending. so that's literally like you take a half hour or an hour or whatever it is and you fill out the form mm-hmm. you mail it in every year you take 10 minutes to update the form and mail it in and then some years they mail you a check for $50. Some years bucks. they mail you a check for $500. Yeah. You don't have to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah, the money just shows up. You don't have to be reselling into the universe. Yeah. But you are still now making money mm-hmm. for, you know, who, who knows how much. Maybe it'll be $1,000 over 20 years. Yeah. Maybe it'll be $10,000 if all of a sudden yeah. some future book hits or something. Who knows? But the fact is, it's, 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 there's things like that yeah. that you could should spend at least a bit of your week doing. Yeah. I think what I'm looking for here, Jonathan, is for you to tell me <laughs> that there is no shame in reselling work that you don't necessarily think is good anymore because you can still sell I it wouldn't for money. I wouldn't personally resell work <laughs> I don't think is good. But I would, you know, uh, like I have tiers of things, right? Yeah. So like well, if I write something, let's say I write a poem. Yeah. Uh, there's like a tier of quality in my mind. Yes. So like under a certain Just level, make, I won't publish the poem. So maybe when I said good, I wasn't necessarily being well, precise enough. Well, I mean, you think the, the book's idea, good, but I'm saying like. The idea that it's not who you are as a creator anymore. Because I'm assuming the, the work that you did 10 years ago is not what, who you are as a creator now. Who cares? Do you think... But here's the thing. I, I, okay, I had a... Do you know Christian Book? Do you know who that is? No. Christian Book is the most uh, popular poet in Canadian history. Uh, for, in the terms of... At least he was until Leonard Cohen and Margaret Atwood. Uh, Christian Book on a, wrote the best-selling book of poetry in Canadian history uh, up until recently. Uh, when Leonard Cohen published and, and Ruby Carr and so on, so you know, came along. Mm. It was a book called Unoya, uh, in which every chapter of the book is a series of prose poems that uses only one vowel. Okay. Chapter A, chapter E, chapter I, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, anyway, long story short, after he won the most prestigious poetry prize you can win the world other than the Nobel Prize, which is the Griffin Prize of Canada, um, and so on and so forth. Um, his follow-up to Unoya is the Xenotext experiment, which is uh, part of a two-book series in which to write this book, Christian has t- written a poem, implanted it, into, transcribed it into a genetic uh, sequence mm-hmm. code, encoded it into a genome, yeah. uh, implanted the genome into a bacterium yeah. in such a way that the bacterium has been mutated or ha- now writes from the DNA sequence and RNA protein Mm -hmm. and effectively becomes, the poem has now become a living organism that is unkillable and immortal and and so on. That's the short story of it. So Christian's been working on this follow-up book slash genetic organism (laughs) for some time. So I'm talking to Christian. So I'm sitting in a bar with Christian and like, he's like talking about, you know, I've written this thing, I've written that thing, I've written the other thing and now I'm going to do this. I'm like, but Christian, why don't you publish these other things? And he's like, well, you know, I got to do this. This has got to be my next book. This has got to be my next book. Yeah. And, you know, I understand where he's coming from. But I, I, but I'm like, I was saying to him, like, but Christian, I'm like, but who cares the sequence of it? Like, yes, you know, there's a, like, in the long scheme of things, people aren't following your career that closely. Because nobody's career has followed that closely, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, in the long scheme of things, there's going to be some person who, you know, theoretically, who's like, reads into the universe, doesn't know what year it was published, doesn't know what order. And that's why. Doesn't know it was your first book. They might think yeah. it was your 10th book. Yeah. They don't know. They, don't, they like it or they don't. Yeah. You, you know, you can't micromanage somebody, some readers, yeah. um, you know, so if you have a work that you that is good enough to to still sell, you should still sell it, regardless sh- of when you made you, it. You shouldn't have published it the first time if you didn't think it was right. publishable. Yes. So since you did, 
Not, I'm just saying you. I'm saying you as yeah. in, you in, in general. Yeah, the, the general listener, you. Yeah, it's like so. Like for me, there's like a tier of which, like, yeah. I won't publish something if it's under this quality. Yeah. Then there's like a middle tier of like, I'll publish it, but only in a journal. Yeah. And I won't put it in one of my books. Yeah. And there's like things that go in my books. So I have like these quality control filters, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Um, but I mean, whatever it is, like, yeah. uh, Tim, I mean, it, that's like a philosophical question. The, the business answer is you yeah. should publish everything, okay. which I don't believe. But, you know. Yeah. So to, to sum up a lot of what we're saying for the, the new creator who's taking your creative writing, who's taking a creative writing class in there, you know, working on things for, for fun. There's three ways that you're going to make money in the short and long term. Generally, the first is. You're going to make new work. Which I think should always be the priority. Yep. The second is you're going to do whatever allows you to survive immediately. Which ideally, as you were saying, ideally is a creative skill that you're selling. Yep. And the third thing is to sell, find a way to sell work that you've already done. So, and that obviously you can only do once you've already done the first thing. Yeah, so but, but you, you should, I think, I mean, what I would caution people, and I, and I wish I had cautioned myself about this, Yeah. what I would say is that you should be in a regular practice of that, exactly that kind of, of thing. Spending time doing it, yeah. And that's, I think that's what's so important, and it's going to be important for me as someone who has absolutely no discipline whatsoever, and I just jump from project to project with, with all the whimsy in my heart, um, is as a new creator, the valuable skills that you need to focus on early and the habits that you need to develop are to um, be making new things, to figure it, to put time aside, to figure out how to sell the things that you have already made, and then to make sure that you're paying your bills. Now, if you're lucky, you will make something and sell it to someone like a publisher, and they will figure out all the different ways that you can be making money. It will never happen. I know that, but... That's not what publishers do anymore. I know, but you hope. Anyway, but the idea... here and there. The idea being that you're dedicating a, a specific amount of time that allows you to continue growing your portfolio, which is making new things. And then you have a um, lesser amount of time or a specific amount of time set aside to pay your bills, but also figure out ways to sell the things you've already done. And one of the most important ways that you can maintain that is that you have an organizational system that shows that tells you what you have already done where it has been sent off and where it is bringing in money so that you can track where the money is coming from. And because you're now doing this, you are in the eyes of the government, a business, you should start turning your mind towards how you treat yourself as a business, which means taking into consideration all of the costs that can be attributed to that and to developing yourself as a professional, which as we said, is anything that, um, contributes to that, including keeping your receipts from business meetings, keeping your receipts from any type of book or item that is going to continue your, um, your professional building, which I mean, indirectly, is that not every single book you ever buy? It depends. Like I don't, if I buy a book for my daughter, no. I mean, I'm a, a guy on my own without a family um, everything that I read is, is to help me build as a creator. I understand that there are some that have sort of a linear connection. Like if I'm a, if I'm a comics writer and I go and buy a graphic novel, like I recently bought Blankets, the graphic novel, and it is going to inspire me as a writer and help me develop skills, so, that is a more... I, so again, I'm not an accountant. But of course. The no. rough guideline for it is Can imagine... Yeah, imagine they ask you to justify it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. I make comics instead of a comic. Yeah. Now, if you bought um, a book of poetry, that maybe is justifiable as well. Yep. But it's less obvious to justify. But so you I'm, might write a, a note on the receipt, for example. If I'm you a, might write, thinking about adding yep. a poem, or, a poetry book, yeah. question mark. If like, I'm if a, you just wrote that on the back of the receipt, yeah. theoretically... That's justifying it. If I'm a comics writer and I buy a textbook on quantum physics, it better be so that I can use quantum physics as an element of a story somewhere. I, feel I, do that, I did that. That exact thing. I actually bought a book on string theory. Yeah. And my new short story book, I quote from that book on string theory. Yeah. I went to Costa Rica. Yeah. And I wrote a story about 
how I went to Costa Rica. Now, have you done your taxes for for that purchase already? Did you? That was years was, and years ago. So, was it a successful write off? Of course, I never get audited. Yeah, because my wife, ironically, has been questioned about like, are your union dues really? Uh, is that union real? I'm like, what is wrong with these guys? Yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah, because well, it's a normal, it's a justifiable, normal, regular thing. Oh, I got to say. But I mean, theoretically, they could come to me and ask all those questions. Yeah. But, you know, if there's if it's questionable, you just write the back of the receipt to remind yourself, oh, yeah. that's because I was thinking about doing this thing. Yeah. I ended up not doing it. So two years into my creative career, air quotes, I need to start keeping my receipts, is what you're telling me. Because I have a bunch, I have credit card statements the fact from is, stuff. Linden, when you go claim that eye collector... You say I made a, whatever it was. Who yeah. knows what you'll end up making? Well, let's say you make ten thousand dollars from the eye collector. It's <laughs> not going to happen. But, yeah, no, it's not. But like, let's say you. I mean, yeah. the fact is, they're going to tax it. Yeah. They're going to tax whatever it is, 35 percent of it, whatever you end up falling into. Yeah. They're going to take that money. Yeah. So keep your sheets. Cool. Keep your money. And I always forget about that. Set, this, set the money part <laughs> aside. Yeah. I get like receipt. this tax bill for like six grand. I'm like, oh, I forgot to keep six grand to pay this tax bill. What if I spend six grand on comic books and write them off as business expenses? Well, that's fine. But keep in mind, you're, you're not getting the full amount back. Yeah. You're not getting the full amount as the write off. It's yeah. only like whatever it is. Percentage. I forget. Okay. It's like 30% or whatever it is. Yeah. It's basically. Okay. So as it a. It gets complicated. Get an accountant, write the accountant off. Like it's. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And these. I mean, this is stuff that should be at least mentioned in a creative writing class. Now, maybe, maybe I'm. An, I mean, I get why it's not. Maybe I'm an idiot, and it was in what, one. Let me niche tell you what class, I felt the I most justified ever. Gregory, when I went, my, my daughter had her safe grad, and I had to take her to it. But it was the same exact same time I had this class happening. Yeah. Um, to go to like the dinner and stuff. So I got Gregory who was visiting my class anyway. Cause I was, you know, he was, he was just going to be a visitor in my class. Yeah. So I got him, I'm like, can you just take the class over? I'll schedule on this date and whatever. So he's like, ah, no problem. So we go into the class and he's like, um, I didn't have time to really touch base with them. And he's like, he's like, so he asked the students, he's like, Hey, uh, so what do you guys, uh, Hey, what do you guys be doing this class anyway? And they're like, Oh, you know, he gave us this assignment we're doing. Yeah. He, and, the, and the assignment was, they're supposed to write an outline for us, a story. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're writing a treatment, yeah. uh, like this, like long, like feature film story outline. Yeah. And uh, so Gregory, he's apparently he's telling me he's like he's like he's like they were kind of shocked because I said to them he's like oh he's like I know it and I given them a sample of one of my own treatments yeah. uh, as an example of like how they could structure it or format it. Yeah. And Gregory's like oh he's actually teaching you things that make money. And they're like what? What are you talking about? He's like, and Gregory's like well he, I know for a fact he just made like six grand off this example he handed you mm-hmm. and they're like really yeah <laughs> he's like it never occurred to them that this thing they were doing is potentially valuable i literally had made yeah like the week before six grand off the document i handed them as like yeah it never would have occurred to them that that would have any value yeah so here's my i mean here's my thing is you know maybe maybe a creative writing class is or should be exactly what it already is which is a class where you go to workshop your writing, you become a better writer. Um, there's no, there's no, you know, fundamentals of being a business person in writing type class. I mean, I'm sure that there are, you know, starting your own business classes in a business stream. But as someone coming from an English degree, the courses that I took were let's read these books and analyze them for their literary significance and write a paper on them. And that was every single English course I ever took. Um, And because writing is not treated as a trade, there's not going to be a trade program at a trade school that teaches you the fundamentals of treating it as a business. So where are writers supposed to figure this out on their own? I would say they should learn in university because in my view, university is a professional, mm-hmm. you're, you're being professionalized. Yeah. So the reason you study literature that way in a literature course is they're professionalizing you to be an academic. Yeah. Maybe they shouldn't, but that's what they're doing yeah. and it makes sense. Yeah. In a creative writing course, why are they not professionalizing you in the same way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're not comes- there for fun. It's a university. Okay. That's my opinion. Yeah. People don't share it, obviously. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying. <laughs> no, I don't to, teach a class. I don't teach them taxes. I'm I'm just trying to get. And I'll at show the them a contract. Of, I show them like how what my contracts look like, and I tell them yeah, how it works out. Yeah, the they've point, never seen a book contract. The point, yeah, exactly. The point I'm trying to get at is because writing is such a weird. Or being a creative is such a weird profession. Again, air quotes turned into profession. Um, it is a profession. It though. is a profession, but, but it's not treated like as one. It's not. Yeah, it, and that's when I say that is it's not treated as one, and so there aren't the same um, fundamental building blocks provided to people that want to go into it, and that's the frustration here. Is that we're moving like we've we spoke about this last time in that jobs don't necessarily exist in ten years. Skills exist. Um, creative, the creative field is one of those things that is always going to be changing, but the idea of treating yourself as a business is never going to disappear as we, as we live in a, in the current, you know, capitalist structure society. The problem is that even if you don't want to treat yourself as a business, the government will treat you you as a business. They're going to tax you like you're a small business because you are a small business, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And so I just feel like. I mean, it depends what you want to do. But if you do want to have a career where you're like, you know, writing comics full time yeah. as, as an example, like this is the things you got to think about. And, and you're right. They should talk about it. But there's like a um, taboo almost against talking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I mean, it's just when I look back at the English courses I took and the English or in the creative writing class I took, and don't get me wrong, I loved my English writing or my creative too. writing class. I, I met some wonderful people. I created some very bad short stories. Um, but one of the things that we had to do, one of the projects we had to do was you have to go to someone else's book launch and yep. you write a review of their book, like buy their book and write a review of their book. Um, and so it's not as though university, the university stream doesn't acknowledge that people do this for money. They're very, they're very open about um, that this is a profession, but they don't necessarily necessarily connect the dots on how you turn it into a profession. And this is mm-hmm. comes back to what we spoke about last time, which is that um, in terms of the aims of university, which you know are academic or they're intellectual and they're great for learning skills per se, but they're not. Um, they're not built to drive you towards a job. You have to do that yourself. And so, and that was my frustration when we spoke about it last time was when we looked at university versus a trade school, a trade school exists to build you for a job. You are going to learn this specific set of skills. We're going to set you into this profession so you can be successful. University is going to teach you the thinking that you need to learn and the skills that you need to, that you need to have so that you can be intelligent and and um, expand your your horizons and and learning and intellect, but it doesn't exist. It's not going to sit you down and go. Here are the building blocks, the fundamental steps you need to take to turn everything you've learned in this program into something that you can make money out of. They're just I, here's your here's your piece of paper, and here's the things that we think we should go that should go along with it, and have fun. Good luck. I feel like it's weird because the publishing industry, in this respect, I think the university folds into the publishing industry in this way where they kind of are this old boys gentleman club even yep. though it's run by women now it, in a statistical sense mm-hmm. it still operates like an old boys club in that sense of like it's a closed system mm-hmm. it's not transparent how it operates mm-hmm. you know they're like my, one of my friends was saying was it you or someone no it was my or somebody else but it was saying like what do you do when this places i want to send this thing to somebody but it's closed they're closed for submissions and i was like well i do that all the time all i do is i write them a letter saying hey i know it's your closest submissions can i send you a submission anyway Mm -hmm. and they invariably say yeah sure that's fine yeah and anecdotally when we talk about publishing and the old boys club um one of my favorite things or tidbits or facts or whatever you want to call it is that the books that we consider classics were are only classics because the old boys club decided that these were going to be the books that we considered to be seminal works in the field in some ways yeah it depends on the book but broadly speaking that's 100 percent true when we look at the things that um stand the like that are considered literary masterpieces the only reason we know that those books exist or that they were good is because the old boys publishing club at one time or another looked at it and said, yeah, 
we're going to say that this is one of the greatest works. It doesn't matter what else is out there. These are the ones that we're selecting because there is a the, – the amount of work that is produced by creatives around the world each year is impossible to quantify. And so the only reason the ones that we consider the greatest are the greatest is because someone said so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things kind of going into that and it starts to move into a, a different topic in some ways. But I, I do agree that, I mean, in, an MFA program does a little bit of a better job of getting some mm-hmm. of the professionalization aspects across. But mm-hmm. even so, like, it, it is in some ways considered gauche uh, to talk about how you do it. How you're going to sell this book. Yeah. And it, it is a weird industry in that it operates in these, there's ways in which it is thought to operate and ways in which it does operate that aren't precisely in sync. Mm. Like the wisdom right now, uh, the, the, like there's a wisdom that you know, one needs an agent. People are always asking me about an agent. How do I get an agent? Mm-hmm. What do I do about an agent? Like I know academically that's the question, but I've never had an agent mm-hmm. and I have never needed one. Mm-hmm. Um, the eye collector I sent uh, to agents yeah. and I also sent to publishers I'm still waiting on some of the agents I'm going to write to one uh, and say don't worry about it and say hey I sold this book to a publisher yeah. already Yeah. but I have this other book if you're still interested in being my agent yeah I, <laughs> I think that's smart because but it's, the fact it's, is it's, but it's another example of I've already done this I have the uh, practical credentials to be able to do this. Like this is a, yeah. once again another example of you saying like I've finished a book, but I, I don't can need do an agent. Book. Like I like every once in a while, I I just sent a book to a publisher a little while ago. Uh, or no, I, I I got a yeah I did send a book to a publisher yeah. a little while ago. It was a picture book I'd written, um, and um, I wanted to send this one publisher, and they said you know they didn't accept anything that didn't come through an agent. Mm-hmm. So again, I just like asked them, hey, I don't have an agent. Can I send you this? I'm going to send this to you anyway. Is, is that all right? Yeah. Sounds great. Hmm. They rejected it, but whatever. That's, you know, part yeah. of the course. Yeah. But like, now there's some scenarios where you literally, you can't get there without the agent. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not too worried about that because that's not the kind of books I write. Yeah. So just to, I'm going to bring this right back around to where we started when we were talking to a new creator um, but people think the magic of the agent, like they believe, yeah. if only I could get this agent and they'll write one book and they'll rewrite it and they'll rewrite it. Maybe if it's good enough, it. an agent will pick it up. Maybe if it's good enough. Maybe if it's good enough. But you know what I mean? Yeah. The agent does it. All the agent knows is what might sell. They don't know what will sell. Yeah. They know what might sell. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when we Not talk- to denigrate agents, I'm just no. saying like, yeah. it's not what people- People have this image. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so interesting to think of that that's the agent's role to consider what what will sell or what might sell because we started this conversation talking about... And what people want. They we, know this person wants this, this but, person wants but that. But we started off this conversation talking about the eye collector and how the drive for the decisions that we make in that project are not what people want. It's let's make something weird, something that we want to make and worry about marketing it later. I think it's, I mean, this is my personal opinion, uh, but I believe it's a mistake to consider the marketability of anything while you're trying to make it. I think all happens is you make, I I see this all the time in creative writing classes where people people don't want to put a brand name in. They don't want to say she drank a Pepsi because they're worried, you know, what if the reader likes Coke? Yeah. And it's like, well, now you're just saying she drank a cola. What does that mean? I'm gagging. No one can imagine a cola. They know what Coke tastes like. They know what Pepsi tastes like. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's not evocative. Now they've literally killed the description. It's no longer an evocative description. Yeah, you're turning the writing at that point. Yeah, and and, and in a way that is now making it ironically unmarketable because you're trying to make it so marketable. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I was talking... um, yeah, like there's just this, we- but there's a weird assumption. Yeah. It's the same assumption you see a lot in Canada where people have the belief. They, it's kind of lessened now, but there for a period and to some degree still, I think, there's this belief that you actually see it in rap music uh, until Drake suddenly starts talking about Toronto all over the place. Yeah. 
nobody wanted to talk about Toronto because yeah. then you couldn't sell a song in the States if it mentioned Toronto. Yeah. And like, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Americans don't care yeah. what city Drake's from. Yeah. And just like readers don't care whether your book is set in Winnipeg or New York. Yeah. And so if you don't know anything about New York, you live in Winnipeg. Yeah. Why are you setting your book in New York thinking yeah. it's more marketable? Is yeah. it more marketable if you poorly describe New York? No, the people in New York are just going to tell it's you. It's ridiculous. Things. But that's the attitude we've had for like yeah. 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. So as a, I mean, as a new creator, you should be focusing on making new work, but not worrying about marketing it until it's done. I think you should. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the number one thing, if you're doing nothing else, and if you only have the time to do one thing, mm-hmm. to me, it's like you make new work that is the best work you could possibly make. Yeah. And then, you know, pay you, your bills. You then, but you find some way. Once you've made that work, yeah, you get a system in place that's just cold businessman, yeah, trying to sell that work. Yes, you're the cold businessman for one hour a week, and you're the you know and, and passionate artist the rest of the time. And that's what they don't. But teach you can't. You, you got to be both. Yeah, and but they don't. That's not. That's not what you're taught. And that's what is so important about what we're talking about is you're. When you take a creative writing class, you're taught how to be a creative. You're not taught how to be a business person. And that's the gap in the knowledge that you need to be able to, to be successful. People also think that they, um, I think the other big mistake I see a lot, you've kind of worked around this to a certain degree, I think, but I don't know how much you've really thought this through. Um, but the mistake I see a lot of people making is they have the assumption that, let's say they say you write the laundry man. Yeah. Well, let's just use the eye collector as my example because yeah. I know this better and it's Fine. a real example. Yeah. The, laundry, the eye collector is so weird. I don't expect to make money from it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't expect people to buy the book. Yeah. I love it. Go buy the eye collector. Yeah. But, like, I'm not expecting a mass yeah. eye collector It's not going to be a, a bestseller-type book. It could, but I wouldn't expect it. Yeah. I'm not expecting a movie to get made out of it. Yeah. I'm not expecting, you know, it to be picked up by Netflix. Yeah. I'm not expecting the money to come from the eye collector. So, some might say it's a poor so when I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, I can't expect, I'm not going to like spend a lot of time trying to yeah. get Netflix to buy the iCollector series. Yeah. But what I will do instead is I'm going to take the iCollector and show it to people and yeah. say, hey, you want to hire me to write a Batman story? Yeah. I do this dark, weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can I mean, do your dark, trans- weird. Transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's like a way or like I'm going to, you know, maybe try to, I mean, imagine we're past the COVID times. Yeah. I'm going to maybe try to get like paid to go on a panel to talk about making a comic, your first yeah. comic yeah. or something. Like yeah. there's, there's this roundabout, like in a weird way, every project me, that you do builds into another project. Like we've spoken about, but even simpler than that, uh, you don't, if I've got the eye collector sitting on a table in front of me, mm-hmm. I don't have to make money selling you the eye collector. Mm-hmm. I can make money telling you about how you could make your eye collector yeah. or something else. Yeah. Like there's other ways to do it if the work itself is not the most marketable thing. Mm-hmm. So why sacrifice the quality of the work to try to make it more marketable? It yeah. doesn't even make business sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't make any artistic sense. I get what you're saying. And it doesn't even make business sense. Yeah. Because the worst way to make money on the eye collector is to sell it to you for $5 and pocket 80 cents. Yeah. Yes, I know. I get it. <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's what people will fixate on. They'll yep. tweet their... What do you mean you'll make 80 cents on it? They'll yeah. annoy all their friends, like, tweeting about how they should buy their book. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. No, it's... I mean, I don't like to use the phrase pyramid scheme because it has a, <laughs> it has a negative of, connotation yeah. to it. But the idea is that every project you're going to make is going to build onto another project. And um, it's going to pay off in ways that you don't necessarily or as realize. You're going back to the, maybe we'll kind of yeah, please, we, we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up by going back to your original point. It it it, it gives you that credential. Yes, and the credential is worth something. It's worth more than you're going to make in the short term on a flat payment of the book. Any project is worth less than the credential of having done the project. Yes. And now you're a comic creator. Like yeah. now, even though I wrote one comic book. Yeah. I did sell it. You're a published comic writer now. I s- and I'm a comic guy with a comic book deal. Yep. That's it. That's worth something. That's it. So when we, the first question. You'll see what it's worth. The first question <laughs> I asked was, you can make a book or you can get a master's degree, which has the better credential. And 
the the answer is making the book the only saving grace of your specific master's degree is example. that it helped you make the book so the the goal yes. of any new creator is finish the damn project start working on the next project and learn how you're going to sell your first project and just keep trying to pay your bills while you're doing it ideally ideally there's something connected to that project yeah and treat yourself as a business I mean, yeah, I, whether you want to or not, you are one. But yeah, I think I think that's a great, uh, great way to kind of come back. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, Lyndon. Thank you once again, Jonathan. Keep, Keep writing, writing the wrong way. way. <laughs>